You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. All right, John chapter 12 today. Let's look, if you will, at verse 9 down through verse 15. John chapter 12. My voice is feeling a little better today, so I got at least a two-hour sermon. Some of you were <laughs> saying, you don't feel too good today, do you, Pastor? And, and so we'll see how it goes. But uh, thank you for your prayers, feeling much better today. And I don't, I don't look like a druggie today or whatever you thought last week with my red eyes. John chapter 12. Let's look, if you would, at verse number 9 down through verse 15. Much of the people, much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. This is Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So I included these verses because we just studied about Lazarus last week. Palm Sunday included some, uh, the buildup to Palm Sunday included even Lazarus. Verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. By the way, the guy who just was brought back from the dead. I find that very ironic. Verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, here we are now, the Sunday before um, Easter Sunday, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, uh, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy King cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things which were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And so today we want to look at, we've been studying on closer, drawing closer to Jesus through John's gospel, looking at today drawing closer to Jesus by recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah. Let's pray to ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these rich lyrics and, and, and even this new song that we've just begun to learn as we thank you and as we celebrate what you have done for us. Uh, Lord, we pause on this Palm Sunday and we consider how you set your face as a flint. You, you, did not, um, you weren't forced into this. You chose this. You laid your life down for us, the same who in the moment got caught up in the frenzy of this moment of entrance, and, and Lord, you, you stayed focused in the hosannas as well as the crucify hymns. You stayed on mission, and we thank you for that, what that means for us even today. And I, I pray, Father, as we consider you as Messiah, your son as Messiah, that, Lord, we would um, acknowledge where we look to others for deliverance, and that, Lord, instead we would fix ourselves back upon or fully upon for the first time Christ alone as our Messiah. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Um, I joke with Heidi often that she only keeps me around for a few reasons, um, and uh, one of them is she likes to flip houses, and so we do that uh, now and then, and also for killing bugs, right, and opening, and opening jars. Um, and I think now and then she actually could open the jar, but she just wants me to feel like I, I'm, I'm a man, and so she lets me, you know kind of pop that off there. Um, you ever thought about someone who lives alone, especially you ladies, some of you navigate this as widows, 
Um, but if you're alone and you don't have somebody to open the jar for you, what do you do? Okay, have you ever been there? Or maybe your husband or the he-man of your life is not accessible. Uh, what do you do? You just maybe skip that ingredient? I don't know what you do with, without the jar being able to be opened. Some of us, as we age, even as guys, there's things now I can't open that I just hand to my teenage son, and they can strong-arm that. Um, can I tell you today, all of us look to someone or something to open up the jars, if you will, of our life. And here's what I have found as it relates to our choice on messiahs or deliverers. Ultimately, it's not about the messiah. It's not about the person we're looking to. For most of us, if we're honest, it's really about us. I choose those I look to for help, not because of them, but I choose them because of what they do for me. And I think if we're not careful, our, our, our opting in or opting out of who our Messiah is often is very self-absorbed. And I just want to encourage you today as it relates to this thing of Messiah, that if you look to anyone or anything else other than Jesus to be your ultimate deliverer, you're not as close to him as you think you are today. Whether that be in salvation, deliver from the penalty of your sin, whether that be just this progressive thing called sanctification or dealing with the ups and downs of life, if we look to anything or anyone else other than Jesus to be Messiah, we're not as close to him as we would like to think. And we as Americans have so many resources at our disposal. We know so much. We know so many people. We have access to so much that often Jesus is not in that primary role of being Messiah. Now, the word Messiah, that concept, um, is a central doctrine of, of Christology or the doctrine about Jesus Christ that emphasizes that Jesus is the Savior King. Uh, in fact, the English term Christ, the word Christ that we find all throughout the New Testament, is, is really a representation of this concept that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, uh, if you will, or the Messiah. Now, what's interesting in the New Testament is that prior to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see very few instances where Jesus is willing even to let us know or let those of his day know that he was the Messiah. Uh, in fact, often he was tamping down expectations or everybody getting excited about he's the deliverer. Uh, and so Jesus is very careful to help us understand who he is as it relates to being the anointed one, the Christ, or the Messiah. So the question today is this, in a day where the world and even believers are perpetually and fruitlessly looking for the next Messiah, who always disappoints, and so then we move on to another, how do we stick with Jesus as our Savior King? How do we look to him and stay on him uh, to be our deliverer. Let's talk about today two messianic responses. So these are things we should see in Jesus, we should appreciate about Jesus uh, that will help us as we grow in our walk with him. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about a Messiah who is memorialized. We see him being remembered uh, and memorialized in the beginning of John chapter 12. Um, if I were to ask you today, and probably you'll know the answer just because it seems like it's counterintuitive, but if I were to ask you, which was invented first? The train, like the train, the locomotive, or the bicycle? If I had to guess before reading this article, and you probably can guess the answer, the train was actually invented almost 10 years before the bicycle. Doesn't that just blow your mind? To me, I, the bike's been around, it's, it's just 
you know, it's just part of human history. We don't want to walk, so let's ride a bike. And we figured that out since, you know, the early, the dawn of human history. It's the early 1800s before the bicycle was invented. Uh, sometimes as, as time goes on, we forget what's, in, what's first, what's primary. And, and, and so the Messiah needs to be remembered on his own terms. He needs to be remembered in a way uh, that represents him faithfully. And as we enter this Passion Week, one of the things we have to be careful of is to remember and to remind others of why Jesus really came. We have to remember him, not how we want him to be or what we want to be accomplished. We must allow him to reveal this mission, this eternal mission of the Messiah, not our lesser agendas that he is focused upon. All right, let's talk about a couple things that we see Mary modeling for us as it relates to this memorial. Number one, Draw closer to Jesus, memorialize burial. Mary, unlike most others, and I would say John, the Apostle John, and then Mary probably got Jesus a little bit more than the other of his followers. John, we've alluded to that, and now his reference to Mary. Mary's always found at Jesus' feet. She's always found just a half step uh, more in sync with him than even her own siblings. And so we see her memorializing uh, his burial. Go back to verse 3. So this would be the day before. This is the build up to uh, all that God is going to do. We see it's Passover week as referenced back in verse 1. Uh, but look, if you will, down at verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment, the same sister who had just seen her brother resurrected. Uh, ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. All right, two things under this. Number one, notice that it is a costly burial. It is a costly burial. This memorialized burial that Mary is uh, celebrating and foreshadowing cost her greatly. Um, this spikener that's mentioned is, comes from a root of a plant in India, which obviously think of the traveling logistics to get something from India uh, to Palestine. It was, a, it was of great value. It was uh, often sealed in an alabaster box or a flask and only open on a very special uh, occasion. And so we see Mary broken. Uh, she breaks this. And then notice with her hair, uh, what is the glory of a woman according to Scripture? It is her hair washing Jesus with uh, her glory. And so we see her humbly, sacrificially uh, anticipating who Jesus is. It's fascinating to me to contrast Mary with almost everybody else in this chapter. Everybody else was, was thinking of what they were going to get out of Jesus. Mary instead is giving to Jesus. She's giving up for Jesus. And may I encourage you this week as we enter this week, the Passion Week, that we are not thinking of Easter of what we can achieve or what we can obtain from it. It's, it, it's a sacrificial memorial. What, what, what should Easter cost us this year? What should this season cost us? We see Mary uh, being willing to memorialize in a costly, sacrificial way. In fact, go down to verse 7. It says here specifically, let her alone. We'll come to Judas in a moment. Against the day of my burying, has she kept this? And so she anoints the body of Jesus in anticipation of his burial. May I say to you today, to fully associate with the Messiah does ultimately lead to sharing in a rich kingdom. I'm not saying that we're not going to benefit from Jesus being our Messiah. But before we get there, it's going to cost us everything. 
to enter into his kingdom and to experience all the riches and not just tangibly or financially, but just the richness of all and who Jesus is, is first going to cost us everything. Is that the, the tenor? Is that the posture of our heart and life toward Jesus Christ? Uh, Brother Rands, Pastor Rands, who pastors in uh, Toledo, who preached for our anniversary last fall, he's in Poland right now. Um, and he is in Poland working with some partners in that region. They're working, providing humanitarian aid to refugees from Ukraine. And he was posting pictures of just these massive warehouses with blue tarps that is home for people. And it has their name on a label and they kind of tap on the tarp instead of rudely walking in. And, and then the, a lady pulls back the tarp and they take in food or they take in whatever. Uh, remember the story out of Poland a few weeks ago where... You have Ukrainian refugees fleeing the country, leaving everything behind. And when they got to the train station in Poland, there were strollers just lined up waiting for mamas who had babies and nothing to transport them in, just giving of themselves to meet the need of another. Um, That's the spirit of Easter. That's the spirit of our Messiah. and, And we must respond in like kind, a costly burial. Go to verse 4. In contrast to this, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold? And possibly this was internal dialogue, at least in part. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence or denarii and given to the poor? Number two, not only was it a costly burial, number two was a criticized burial. And so what Mary did, it cost her greatly, but it also was criticized, it was mocked, it was marginalized by the one who ultimately would, who would betray Jesus Christ. Judas felt in his pious perspective that this money was wasted upon Jesus. He didn't think Jesus was worth that price. In fact, later we see he proves it. For less than a tenth of that amount, he sold out Jesus Christ. Uh, So we see this criticism leveled at Mary, the one willing to memorialize or to celebrate who Jesus uh, is and who he would be. Verse 6, John in hindsight, this he said, not that John knew this in the moment, but in hindsight, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. And so Mary gives openly, Mary gives sacrificially, Judas wants to hoard and does so secretly, the contrast between these two responses to the Messiah. Verse 7, you notice Jesus says, let her alone. And then verse 8, here's his reasoning, for the poor always ye have with me, but me ye have not always. And so we see this opportunity, this window that was closing to minister to Jesus. Who else besides Mary anointed Jesus for his burial? No one. She was the only one close enough to Jesus and willing to sacrifice enough for him that in the moment, despite the criticism, she seized the opportunity that was before her. May I just remind you today, there are unique aspects of us following Jesus as Messiah that are, there are opportunities that will never come again. This is my 37th Easter celebrating Easter as a believer. I have no guarantee of a 38th one on this planet, do you? I don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. You may celebrate Good Friday without me. I may celebrate it in this place without you. There's an urgency to following Jesus as Messiah. He has made this day for us to follow him. We may not have tomorrow. 
Are we seizing those windows of opportunity? If Jesus is Messiah, there's an urgency. There's a stewardship that each of us are leaning into. One author said this, Judas certainly wasn't the only disciple who was upset about the waste of money. In fact, if you look at Mark 14, others chimed in on that perspective. John here, though, singles him out so we can compare and contrast him with Mary. Mary thought Jesus was worth everything she owned. Judas saw him worth no more than what you'd pay for a slave, is ultimately what he sold Jesus for. John poses the honest question, what is Jesus truly worth to you? What is he worth to us? And so this word of application, and we'll move on to our second point here today, if we want to maintain and increase intimacy with Jesus, we must remember that, he, uh, that the way of our Messiah is through the door of the grave, that it will cost us greatly, it will be criticized greatly, not the palm branches or the pastel-colored themes of this season are what define Easter. It's a costly season. It's a costly relationship. It's a criticized relationship we have with Jesus. I have found this to be true. At some point, I have to let go of what other people think of me, and i got to focus on following Jesus. And it's amazing the liberty that comes with that. It's not I'm calloused or I'm seeking a fight. But between what you have to say and my Messiah, I'm going with what he says. That needs to be our spirit. That's when we get close with Christ. Is that true of us today as young people and as adults? All right, go back now to the beginning of chapter 12, and let's talk about a second aspect of this memorial. So his burial is memorialized through the sacrificial expression of Mary, but her brother also served a role here in the build-up to Palm Sunday. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus, six days, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. I love how John just makes sure we don't miss what happened. This guy was dead. He's not dead. Jesus is the reason. Verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. So there she is again, doing her role. But Lazarus, the bum, was one of them that sat at the table with him. So Martha's busy uh, serving. Mary's about to do the sacrificial thing. And then Lazarus, typical guys, there's food. We just sit and eat. That's our, that's our role, right? And so Lazarus is here fellowshipping with and relating to Jesus Christ. Um, somebody was telling me the other day that all of our friends fit into one of two categories. So if you, all of your friends, or all two of them, okay, if that's you or me, um, but all of our friends fit into two, uh, two categories, two types of friends. The one are those who text you after 10 p.m. Isn't that a blessing if you're not a night owl? And then the other group of your friends are those who text you before 8 a.m. Isn't that true? And both times, some of us were caught sleeping or a little out of it when that text comes. I am, as I'm moving through life, moving toward the before 8 a.m. text category. That's me if I'm your friend today, or if you want me to be your friend, just that warning um, that I'm to bed earlier and up earlier than I used to be. Can I tell you that though Mary is memorializing his burial that is about to occur, uh, uh, Lazarus is a preview or a foretaste, an early preview of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So yeah, he's going to resurrect himself, but first he brings Lazarus back uh, from the grave. And so we see this preview, this memorialized, number two, resurrection. So we see Jesus memorialized burial, 
in the spirit of Mary and her sacrifice, we see also the memorialization of his resurrection. Hey, look at Lazarus. You don't think this guy is the life? Look at this guy. Look at the one who was dead so long that he stank. He, he stinketh. Um, and Jesus brought him back from the grave. All right, two things under that. Number one, we see with Lazarus, between Lazarus and Jesus, a fellowshipping resurrection. You have fellowship between the life and the guy who was dead that he brought back to life. What a moment. Wouldn't you love to just sit at that table and sit between them and just do the ping pong match thing back, just listen to them talk about this was cool and then this happened and, you know, that kind of a dynamic. Um, And so this, this fellowship between Lazarus and his Redeemer. Now, this move on Jesus' part was a risky one. He was going into a region that was close to Jerusalem in close proximity to those who hated him. Um, As he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and uh, all that we're about to talk about, he was going right into the teeth and the thick of those who hated him and longed to kill him. And yet we see him drawing nigh to Lazarus for fellowship in this moment. May I just say to you today, the resurrection power of Jesus on our behalf is not just so we're free from death. I, I love that we're, we don't have to fear death, and we just sang a bunch of anthems about that, songs about being free of death and the fear of it. But Jesus also has delivered us from death so that we can have, listen to me, fellowship with Him. Fellowship with Him. If our Easter is only about the negative aspects being gone, we are missing so much of the positive gifts and, and blessings that come with following Jesus. He leads us out of darkness into light, the light of his presence, the light of his smile, the light of fellowshipping with him. And so we see this access we have to God and to Jesus through the resurrection. All right, go down to verse 9. Much of the people, the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. I love this part of verse 9. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Number two, jot this down. Not only was it a fellowshipping resurrection, it was a validating resurrection. How do you argue with someone who claims to be the resurrection in life when there's someone beside him that he has brought back to life? Um, And so we see this validation on the part of Lazarus. He provided a memorial of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Because Lazarus had been restored, notice, go on if you will, in verse uh, number 10, they want to kill Lazarus too. Verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews, this is Lazarus, went away and believed on Jesus. And so because of Lazarus, many believed on Jesus. He was a means of people putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we see the chief priest planning and and conniving to kill these two men, Jesus and his validation, Lazarus. Ultimately, our resurrection in King Jesus is not about us, but it's about him conquering death, hell, and the grave, and everything and everyone associated with them. He is using us as evidence of his resurrection power. May I just love on you for a moment. That's what we pastors do before we meddle with you. Your life is a testimony of the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. 
This Easter is not about you and it's not about me. It's about us being a showcase. It's about us being an evidence, a, a poster, if you will, of look at what Jesus can do. Look at who he can change, even a guy or gal like them. Is that our focus this season? Are we focused on pointing the attention toward Jesus Christ? If we're not careful, we can, as Lazaruses who've experienced this resurrection power, or if you've yet to do so, you choose to do so today, we can make Easter only about ourselves when God is primarily focused on someone bigger than you, much bigger than you and me, and that is Jesus the Messiah. All right, number two. Go, if you will, now to verse 12, and let's get to the heart of this story of Palm Sunday. All of that's to lay the foundation for now these key verses. Verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Number two, we see the Messiah not only memorialized, but elevated. He is lifted up. He is lifted up. The boys and I, we were coming off of March Madness. I don't know if you, any of your men in your household have been bored the last week or so, but we were trying to figure out what now to get excited about. And so the only thing other than Jesus, of course, and all our spiritual disciplines and, and running 10 miles every morning together, um, just kidding, we, uh, we decided to watch bull riding and there was like PBR something on. And it just is crazy to see those guys get up on that. They got them in that, you know, compressed in that little chute. And one of the guys, the bull wasn't waiting. He it threw the guy, the guy went up and slammed his shoulder into the bar of the gate. It probably broke his shoulder. Just cool. That's cool, okay? It's not, not me. But we were watching that. And then what's the number? They get out in the arena. What do they have? Eight seconds, right? Just that one hand, just trying to ride that thing out. Can I tell you this morning that when Jesus got up on the top of that donkey, that was not just something that just happened in the moment. It wasn't an eight-second kind of thing that just arbitrarily happened. Here was God's providential sovereign plan being perfectly worked out. His elevation was in a very intentional way. Our Messiah is to be elevated. Our Messiah is to be exalted. Listen to me within the context of God's greater plan. We often promote Jesus or elevate Jesus or make it about Jesus when really it's about us and about our agenda that we want to be worked out through him. And so we see Jesus being elevated. Are we willing to let him do so as Messiah? All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to that. Number one, draw closer to Jesus, elevated confrontation. Jesus here is elevated to take on the religious leaders, to confront not just them, but sin itself and death itself. And so he is elevated to confront. Um, I joked about the texting thing a moment ago. Uh, a friend of mine sent me this. This may help some of us that are not so keen on phone conversations. He said, I like to begin phone calls by saying the following. Hey, my phone is about to die so that I can hang up whenever I want. Hey, my phone's about to die. Click. I'm done with you. You know, just rude. You know, with God, a lot of times that's how we interact with him. It's on our terms. And may I just say to you today, as it relates to Jesus Christ, he is elevated. Listen to me to confront me, to confront you. We want the glory. We want him to reign, but we want to do our own thing. 
And so if Jesus is elevated, if he is truly Messiah, then he's regularly confronting us. Our men's discipleship group this morning, a lot of us were in 1 Corinthians 4 to 8, and we all said God confronted us this week. And we owned that and admitted and acknowledged where that was true. God, if he is Messiah and King, he is always confronting, not just the haters, but we who claim to be following him. And so we can't control the real Messiah or relegate him to some convenient corner that we can manipulate. He's either on his throne, he's either in control, or he is not. Notice two things Jesus confronts here, I believe, on Palm Sunday. Number one, jot this down, superficial confrontation. You have a crowd, and they get all excited and worked up, and Jesus confronts their superficiality. Um, In verse 12 and 13, we don't know for sure the spirit of the crowd that was there thronging this this, uh, line of people on both sides. What was their motivation? There may have been some true believers in the crowd. But the general impression, I think if you read the text carefully in all of the four Gospels, they saw Jesus, this ending with Jesus doing something than what was going to actually happen. They thought Easter Sunday was going to be different than it actually was. They thought Good Friday was going to be different than it actually was. They had in their mind how this was going to play out. Palm branches here that are mentioned are used in Scripture and referenced often as a token of rest and peace that comes after sorrow. Uh, and so they were anticipating an end to their sorrow. The, the word Hosanna means save, save us now, we pray. And so they were longing for Jesus to save them. They were looking for relief from their sorrow. Uh, likely putting those couple of concepts together of what they're doing and what they're saying is they were thinking Jesus was going to deliver them from Roman oppression, Right? He was going to free them, and man, they were excited about that, what God was going to do for them through this Messiah, and much of that was not faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, but a superficial view of who he was. Verse 14, and Jesus, when he had found a young ass sat thereon, as it is written, so they're they're talking and thinking they know where things are going, and then notice it brings us back to the word, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on and asked his cult. And so Jesus here is fulfilling. You could write it down or in your Bible. That's Zechariah 9.9. He's fulfilling the prophecy given to the Jewish people in Zechariah 9.9. The donkey, better than the horse, symbolized the meek and peaceful character of the king of Israel. Uh, And so we see where Jesus' agenda was different than the agenda of the crowd. The donkey clearly demonstratively showing that contrast. And in verse 16 that we just read a moment ago, you see the disciples even got caught up in it and maybe even thrown a bit by it. And only after his resurrection and his glorification did they appreciate and understand with the Spirit's help what was going on here on Palm Sunday. In this so familiar, this Palm Sunday story, it's, it's so typical of how we are as human beings. The crowd gets excited and yet their passion often is misplaced. I'm not trying to pick a fight or start something politically, but I really think the feel here with the palm branches, it's almost like them waving their national flag saying, make Israel great again. That, that's the spirit in the text here. They wanted their own identity and their own country to be liberated politically and, and economically and et cetera. And Jesus could not have been further away in his own focus in the moment. Jesus is not a political zealot. He's not here to deliver on all the things they've been longing for. 
He's here to save their souls. He's here to extend that not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. He's extending his gospel message, and, and that's what's going on here. And so he confronts the superficiality. All right, go down to verse 17. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard they had done this miracle. Verse 19, here's the second thing that's confronted. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, perceive ye how you prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. So he confronts first superficial. Number two, he confronts those who are insecure. He confronts insecure people in the text. In verse 17 and 18, we see the crowd sharing what Jesus has done, and now the Pharisees and the rulers get in a panic. Uh, in fact, they, they, they say, nothing we've done. We can't prevail. Uh, and so they exaggerate that the whole world is going after Jesus Christ. And, and so this confrontation of those who were insecure in the day. Um, one of the things we have to come to terms with with following Jesus as our Messiah, that as the world, listen to me, as the world grows more unstable, they're going to hate us more and more. Insecure people lash out at others. And when you and I have a confidence, and if you don't have that confidence, you can today if you accept Christ as Savior, this internal confidence we have, it evokes negative responses from the world. It often provokes them and irritates them as they battle their insecurities and we have peace through this king of peace. In some sense, Jesus here is reframing power, isn't he? He's, he's, we think of power in certain ways, and Jesus is presenting power in a different manner, which really forces us to choose between tw two views of power. One, will we live according to the world's definition of power, or we live according to Jesus' demonstration of power here? He, he's on a donkey. He's humbly and meekly and lowly coming to his people. That is uh, God's way of power. And so this Messiah who presents power differently. Those closest to Jesus are always those who allow him to confront their lesser ambitions, their lower priorities. Where do you and I need to allow Jesus to do that on this Palm Sunday? There's ambition and agenda all over this room today starting with yours truly. Where does our ambition and our agenda need to be elevated through following Jesus? What's Jesus want to do today? What's Jesus want to do this week? What's he want to do in my home and in my heart? What's he want to do in your home and heart and life? What's he want to do in Wayne County? Is he free to do that? Or are lesser, superficial, insecure agendas hindering and halting what he yearns to do? All right, lastly, go if you will down to verse 20, and let's spend a few minutes in these verses that bring all this to a head today. Verse 20, it says this, I love this, in the midst of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and there were certain Greeks among them, likely amongst the, the crowd referenced earlier versus the Pharisees mentioned. Obviously, they could not be a part of that sect as Gentiles. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, the Passover feast, verse 21, the same came therefore to Philip, Philip who had a Greek name, likely is why they came to him, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Lastly, number two, draw closer to Jesus' elevated death. 
So now we're going to begin to see direct references to the death of Jesus Christ and that being revealed to his disciples and to those who were grappling with who he is and what he was here to accomplish. Um, Any of you collect coins growing up? I did. uh, Pennies. I had all the little blue books with the little where you'd push the penny in from the Civil War when it was made out of a different substance or whatever and trying to find the ones that were rare Nickels. My father, my grandfather had buffalo, so we collected buffalo nickels. And in the penny uh, background or history, there was a time, remember the wheat pennies on the backside? Um, a lady recently posted this in Reader's Digest that she was at a coffee shop. And she said, uh, when my local barista handed me my change, one coin stood out. And so she, just making small talk, said, look at that. You really get one of these old wheat pennies nowadays. Uh, I said, tapping the sheaf of the wheat design. I handed her the penny, turning it over and over in her hand. She said, you know, I always thought they were made out of copper. Always thought they were made out of copper. This, this penny made out of wheat. Um, that, cra- that doesn't crack you up. That's all right. I thought it was hilarious, okay? Um, isn't it funny how sometimes we forget what this is all made of and where this is all going? We get caught up in what we think is the substance of our faith, what is the, the directive of our faith. And Jesus instead tries to elevate us beyond this. He's about to tell them, no, I'm not going to set up a kingdom and deliver you from Rome. Rome is going to crucify me. I'm going to let Rome crucify me. A total shift in the purpose and mission as Messiah. And so to follow Jesus always involves, listen to me, an elevated view of death. Death is not our enemy. Through Jesus Christ, it's been redeemed to become something that's precious in his sight. Listen to me, it's the doorway for most, if not all of us in the room, not considering the rapture, that we're going to enter his presence. Death is a, is a gift. Death is something that is elevated into the purpose and mission of God. What began as the consequences of our death, of our sin, has led to our redemption. It is a gift. It has an elevated view For those who follow Jesus. And what's striking to me is in the midst of Jesus presenting himself to the Jewish people as the Messiah, it's the Gentiles who are seeking him. Um, That's striking to me. All right, two things about this and we're done. Number one, notice that it is a glorifying death. Later on in these verses, in fact, in verse 23, Jesus answered them, these seeking Greeks who came to him, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And can you imagine if, if that had ended there, I'd been like, yeah, it's about to happen. He's going to deliver on the kingdom and deliver us from Rome. The glory of the kingdom is about to be revealed. And notice what he says in verse 24 to counter that. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much Fruit. And so this death of Christ, the Messiah, leads to the glory of the Father. This hour of glory was not going to be him taking the throne or running the Romans out of Jerusalem. It was him being willing to be, uh, to be killed. That would be what would lead to the glory of God. For most people, death is our ultimate humiliation. For Jesus, it was his entrance into glory. It was the, it was the culmination of everything he had done to glorify the Father to please the Father. Um, Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. 
If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Then as he reflects upon this hour which is to come for him, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Here's his prayer. Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came unto this hour. And so we see him willing to lean into this death that God had called him to. What if he had prayed, deliver me from, or if he had sidestepped this mission? We would not be here today. We would not be in this thing called a relationship with God. It was his vicarious death, his substitutionary death that has led us to having access to his word and to his spirit and someday to his full presence in glory only because he was willing to glorify his father through death. Our Messiah can only lead us to glory if we're willing to stick close with him, even when it brings suffering, even when it brings struggle, even when it brings death itself into our lives. Are we willing to follow him to glory through the door of death? One author said this, confronting many of us who tend to only want a Christianity that's comfortable. Oh, we struggle with that. We would all say, I'm not a prosperity gospel uh, follower. But in our practice, we're always asking, why am I suffering right now? Because, I, God, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Or why are good people suffering? And, and we struggle with that, especially when it's us or someone we care for deeply. The author said this, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way, listen, is a stranger to the cross. Our faith and our relationship with Messiah always requires the symbol of a cross. We, we, want, we have it lit up in our auditoriums, but then when we have to carry our own or we have to identify with his, it tends to throw us in what we think is our faith. And so being willing to follow this Messiah to glory through the portal of death. All right, then verse 29. He says this, or the response after, at the end of verse 28, it says, uh, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name and Then there's this voice from heaven, God the Father speaking to the Son, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, verse 29, therefore that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Lastly, number two, not only is there a glorifying death, there is a drawing, a drawing, D-R-A-W-I-N-G, drawing death. Um, I purchased the magnets we'll use for the thank you notes on the cross and, and I'm like trying to separate them and then they just come back together. I've got hundreds of magnets in my, my office, which I have to be careful what I walk by them with that I'm wearing, you know, it's sucked into the <laughs> magnet or something. But magnets just, they, they either repel or they draw together, right? Jesus Christ does that for every person on the planet. He either draws you in or you are repulsed by him. He's that strong. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And so this drawing that Jesus does is through his death. He doesn't attract us with health, wealth, and prosperity. He attracts us through his death. And so that's why Good Friday and and meditating on the cross is so beneficial for us. It draws us closer to Jesus. And so in verse 29 and 30, we see them dismissing this voice from heaven and Jesus says, it wasn't said for me. I know what the Father thought of me. It was for you to hear that I am glorifying the Father in what I'm doing and saying. Now, verse 31 through 33 is where we'll land today. Notice these verses. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. So he talks about Satan being defeated and the world being condemned. And then this key verse today, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. And I'll be honest with you, this verse is probably one of the most butchered, taken out of context verses I've ever heard in our ranks. Well, if Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw men to himself. Look at verse 33. He tells us what he means by that, because we start getting excited in the wrong sense. This he said, signifying what, what is it? Death, should he die. Jesus elevates himself and draws us to him through his death. There's no other Messiah that leads like he leads. There's no other Messiah that attracts and repels like Jesus does, all because he draws through his death. And so Jesus says he will draw all men to himself. Now, does he mean that all will be saved? Well, earlier in John 5, he talks about those in the fold and not in the fold. He's saying men of all, all races, all tribes, tongues, kindreds, and nations, that he will draw all men from all places to himself, and he will draw them through his death, keeping the cross primary is how we follow him and attract others to him, keeping the cross high and lifted up. And so those saved would not only be Jews, but those from every tribe, language, people, and nation, all of these brought into relationship with him through uh, his death. Um, One of the struggles I see in our ranks, starting with yours truly, is we're attracting people, we're trying to even draw ourselves closer to God, our own identity, through horizontal means. This statement hit me between the eyes recently. I was reading this. An author said this, you will either receive your identity vertically, that is with God, your relationship with God, or you will shop for it horizontally. And I see a lot of people shopping horizontally for who they are to be and what they crave and long for. May I remind you, it's it's through vertical relationship with the only one who was lifted up on a cross and then came out of the tomb. He alone gives us our sense of identity, our sense of purpose and peace and satisfaction. And so this seeker-sensitive tendency in our lives and church need to give way to recapturing the glory in and allowing Jesus to attract this world with the cross alone. This Easter, we've got a little youth egg hunt for our, our kids but we're not dropping eggs from helicopters or the pastors on the roof doing whatever. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying, come to the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that attracts. That, that needs to be what we elevate. That's what we need to, need to make prominent as we preach the gospel. And as we share it with others, God will draw those to himself through that identification. Now, what's interesting to me in Scripture is the word Messiah... Uh, in the translation we use, the King James is only found two times. It's found in Daniel 9, 25 and 26. And then Messiah, the Greek transliteration of that, is only found two times in the New Testament, both in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and chapter 4. Um, and, and so the word Messiah itself is not found very frequently in Scripture. We have Christ and anointed one and other things that are referenced. But Daniel chapter 9 talks about this, and I just want to stress how precise God is with his will as we're here on another Palm Sunday. Um, I was reading an article uh, that was referencing a man named Robert Anderson in his book called The Coming Prince. Daniel 9 says that the Messiah will be cut off. 
a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And according to this man's accounts, he did all of the calculations of the 69 weeks of Daniel using the prophetic years, which would basically mean giving room for leap years and calendar uh, miscues that we've had in, in human history, the change from B.C. to A.D., etc., some of those things. And according to his calculations, and again, this is not inspired, but just interesting, figured that the 69 weeks ended on the very day Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem occurred. On that exact day. Now, I know it was exactly on the day because God always is orchestrating things. I don't need some Sir Robert whoever from days gone by to validate that for me. But at least it's interesting as affirming that Jesus came for a reason. And he came on purpose. And here you have all these peons. And I don't mean to dismiss those with the palm branches in their clothing. They're focused on this temporal thing. And God's working in a, such a bigger way. All of human history has led to this moment. Everything is culminated with not their deliverance from Rome, but deliverance from death, hell, and the grave. And so Jesus is the Messiah. And with these two pictures today, Landon, I didn't ask for his permission. I probably should have. But this is a note from Landon a few years ago. Do you know who Russell Wilson is? He now plays, I think, for the Chicago Bears. Is that right? Is he with Denver. There we go for the, the guys who are going to be watching football this fall. Um, but he wrote this note several years ago to Russell Wilson, and he says, I hope you win, uh, you win your next game in football and keep praying to Jesus to win your games. I like how you play. I know now or no, you trust my God and you will uh, go to heaven. I am doing, uh, what's that say? I'm going there and happy birthday from your fan Landon. So he wrote that to Russell Wilson several years ago. And, uh, and then here's the note he got back. <laughs> so Landon writes a handwritten, and then he gets a stock reply from Russell Wilson's personal assistant, which was nice. You know, Russell has asked me to send you this enclosed autograph, which actually wasn't autographed. I'd like to you know, confirm that by himself. But this kind of stock answer. Do you know that all of us, we have someone we look up to? We do. We all do. And what I love about this thing that we have with Jesus, unlike the Russell Wilsons, who seems to have a clear testimony of salvation, now you'll pay attention to me again, um, is, is he has a personal relationship with us. He doesn't have a personal assistant. You know what? Check with my people and I'll get back to you. Listen to me. He wants to lead you. Isn't that unbelievable? The one who fills time and eternity and space and beyond he wants to come into your space and lead you. And what do we do? We don't do this literally, but we do this in our hearts. We push him away. We stiff arm him or at least give me room so I can at least control this part of my life. Is he your Messiah? Is he your deliverer and ruler or not? And the choice is a daily choice. The choice is a yearly choice to let him back in to rule and to reign. See, to view Jesus as anything less than the only anointed by God one is to be seriously out of step with him. All right, and with this quote. Oh, I put it up there already. Sorry. Get it there. Sorry, guys. I'll get it. Let me do it. Here we go. This uh, statement um, really hit me between the eyes the other day because I tend to get in a rut. I'm striving to be deeply defeated by ever greater things. That will rock your world. And it will also align you 
with Jesus Christ every day. He's always greater. He's always going somewhere greater than you can imagine. Are you willing to be regularly and deeply defeated by his greater things? In his word, through his spirit, aligned with his will for your life. Will you allow God today to give you a greater intimacy with Jesus on this Palm Sunday by memorializing and elevating him as the only true Messiah? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.